Hello everyone and welcome to the ALN Academy Talks. This is Angelica. The ALN Academy Talks aim to promote conversations on rule of law and governance in Africa. And today we focus on bribery and corruption. I am delighted to introduce to you Luisa Cetina, Director at ALN Kenya and Jarwala Ankana. Luisa is a partner from the Dispute Resolution and Forensics and Investigations team from ANK and she also heads co-heads the international trade practice at the firm. Luisa, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much, Angie, for having me here. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you, Luisa. So we've recently seen that in October 2021, the Attorney General in Kenya issued some guidelines for public and private entities to support them in the preparation for bribery and anti-corruption measures within their organizations. Why were these guidelines important? Thank you, Angie. A very good question. I'd like to start by pointing out that the Kenya Bribery Act was enacted in 2016. And as you just mentioned, these guidelines on the processes and procedures that need to be implemented to prevent acts of bribery and corruption only came out in October of 2021, wow. which is almost six years later. But in any case, it's better later than never. True. With regards to why they were published and why they're important is because under the Bribery Act in Kenya, there is an obligation on both private and public organizations to implement processes and procedures that prevent acts of bribery and corruption. And until now, there wasn't sufficient detail with regards, of, uh, with regards to the obligation that was actually imposed. The other reason why it's very important for people to start paying attention is that actually the Bribery Act, which imposes this obligation, also states that where there's a failure by an organization to implement the relevant processes and procedures to prevent these offenses, where the failure takes place with the connivance or the consent of a director or a senior officer of a company. And it is proven that that connivance and consent was there. That officer or senior person within the organization is liable for a criminal offense. So it is something that needs to be taken seriously uh, in all the organizations operating within the country. Okay, and which are the key highlights from these guidelines that that we, that, that stand out? Probably speaking, there is a requirement that there be there be an assessment within the organization of the risks that an organization has with respect to acts of bribery and corruption, and that there be a plan that is put in place and that is implemented to mitigate these risks. There's also a requirement that there be a reporting mechanism within the organization that allows members of the organization to safely and confidentially, confidentially report on these offenses or allegations of these offenses. So basically a whistleblower system. Uh, and that also requires that the organization be mindful of certain aspects that need to be part of that whistleblowing system so that it is effective. Uh, and. Uh, Finally, there's a requirement that there be a framework for the protection of these whistleblowers. Okay, so with regards to the whistleblowers and informants uh, strategy, which is the role of organizations? So how can organizations support uh, 
the role of whistleblowers and informants so that they can create a culture of trust and they can come forth. It's a very good point. Uh, and that stresses the need to have a whistleblower system that is actually effective and not just one that appears to work on paper. And whistleblowers are often the main way through which the organization finds out about misconduct. Oftentimes during investigations, we've gone in and we've spoken to witnesses who have been aware of misconduct, including criminal offenses for years. And they actually haven't reported it because they haven't felt that they could trust anyone with the organization. And it often hasn't been until the organization has set up a formalized whistleblower system or a business partner has come in that actually has such a whistleblower system that these people have felt safe to come forward. And so it, it makes a big difference. What needs to be um, ensured is that the reporting mechanism is confidential and anonymous, that there is a work environment that makes people think that these kinds of reports will be taken seriously and that there won't be leaks. And there is a requirement that organizations actually act on such reports if they're escalated and they seem legitimate. And this is because if there is a culture within the organization of impunity and people feel that they report but nothing actually happens, then that means that the system is ineffective, it doesn't work and people will be discouraged from actually going ahead and, uh, and reporting. Thank you, Luisa. We understand also that uh, through your practice, you have supported a lot your clients and African governments uh, in their policies of bribery and of anti-corruption. Can you please give us a bit of background of this practice? Because I understand that it hasn't been uh, for, for long. It's like kind of new. So, through both our dispute resolution and our forensics and investigations okay. practices, we do have a lot of experience helping organizations identify risks and help them put together plans basically to mitigate those risks and then implement them. And in addition to that, help them monitor throughout you know, the first few months or the first couple of years of implementation to ensure that they're actually effective. And I suppose what is helpful is that there isn't a lot of mystery around what is required for an organization to put in place measures that prevent this type of misconduct. The bribery laws around the world are relatively similar to, to a certain extent, uh, and therefore there are very standard um, processes and systems and checklists, and, and there's a developed gap analysis and a framework that we have a lot of experience implementing and using across organizations. So we do that and that's on the prevention side and on the risk mitigation side. And we think that really that's the way to go because you want to catch things before they actually become criminal offenses. But we also have a lot of experience on the other side, meaning that once allegations come to light, once a whistleblower reports misconduct, we go in and we conduct internal investigations, whether they relate to bribery or corruption or fraud, anti-money laundering, you know, sexual harassment, etc. And then once the investigation is completed, then we support organizations in 
taking employees through disciplinary processes were required or filing criminal com complaints were necessary or reporting to the relevant regulators. Uh, and th this case in Kenya would be the Ethics and Anti-Corruption Commission. So yeah, we, we've done a lot of that work, not just in Kenya, but across several countries in Africa. Yes, we've seen actually that now that you speak about across several countries in Africa, that ALN has also developed a country-by-country -country guide uh, on bribery and anti-corruption, uh, which, which do you think that is the key message of that guide and how can that guide support businesses and governments in Africa? Yes, we have an anti-bribery and corruption guide, which I think currently covers about seven countries, but we're going to continue to expand. And this year, definitely, that's one of our focuses. It is really aimed at investors or other organizations who are operating across several countries uh, to just give them an overview of one, the where that country stands on the Corruption Perception Index, and to the current state of the legislation and enforcement. And even though I did say that, broadly speaking, bribery legislation around the world has a lot of similarities. There are also a lot of nuances, especially on the enforcement side, that really make a very big difference in terms of understanding of what your obligations are in each country and the types of measures that you need to put in place. So we find it a really useful guide, even for ourselves as we operate within the Alliance. And we hope that it's a useful tool for others and that we can continue to work with our ALM member firms and other partners within the continent to expand on it. So do you have any parting shot? Anything that you would like to say? <laughs> uh, I think what I'd like to say is that all of us in Kenya need to take this obligation under the Bribery Act to implement these processes and procedures very seriously. I think there could have been an argument originally under the Bribery Act that the obligation to implement these processes was vague. But now that the guidelines have come out, I think it will be very difficult to argue that to the regulator. So I do encourage everyone to take a look at their, their policies and their, their measures internally. And once they take stock to actually act on adding some protections to mitigate risk. Thank you very much, Lisa, and thank you very much for your time. Thanks. Thank you to our audience. If you have any question about this session, please do not hesitate to reach out to info at alnacademy.org. Also follow us. This conversation will be available on our YouTube channel and podcast. See you in our next talk. Thank you.